Welcome to That Psych Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina. On this show, we talk about how to thrive in the sport of running, from on the road to in the kitchen to in your own mind. We hear inspirational stories from others and talk about the psychology behind it all. I'm so happy you're here and enjoy the show. As a PhD student in clinical psychology, you know I'm a huge fan of mental health. And mental health is not just the absence of mental distress, but it's also the presence of thriving and flourishing. And that's where therapy comes in. Therapy, regardless if you have a psychiatric diagnosis, is so good for you. Whether you're going through something stressful in life or you just want to learn how to grow and absolutely thrive. And that is why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, which is BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be so hard, especially when you're limited to the options that are in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in my description, which is betterhelp.com slash Sabrina10. So that's betterhelp.com slash Sabrina10, and that's like the number 10. Clicking that link helps support this channel, but it also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you don't fit with that therapist, which is a common thing with therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. BetterHelp can help you not only feel better, but also just thrive in life regardless of where you're at or what you're going through. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com Sabrina10. Thank you again, BetterHelp, for supporting this channel. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of That Psyched Runner. This is my second um, episode with my new username, and I'm very excited about today's guest. Um, And I have Elizabeth Scott from the Running Explained podcast. If you are a runner, I'm sure you know her. She is amazing. She has great media and just everything that she does in the running community. So if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself a little bit more. Sure. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm really excited to be here. I'm Elizabeth Scott. I am the founder or creator of Running Explained and host of the Running Explained podcast. And my goal is to help you become a better runner uh, in a holistic way, right? So the training, the mindset, the fueling, the science behind why we do the things that we do just to make us more knowledgeable and invested and kind of enjoy our sport as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the ultimate goal of running. And I believe that that's what everybody should be doing in this community. And you're really bringing that to light. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. Yeah. So how did you get into running? What is your story? Just kind of give us the rundown of no pun intended. Yeah, I love this. So I, uh, I had a, it's funny. And I ask people all these questions too. And I feel like everybody kind of everybody's origin story, like can get sorted into one of three buckets. Um, I became a runner through like that classic kind of like, I needed to make this huge life change. And so I was pretty athletic growing up. I swam competitively when I was younger, I played sports mediocrely right through, uh, through high school. And, you know, um, 
I was never like, I, I, I was never on varsity of anything. Um, you know, I was never the fastest, but I had pretty good endurance and I liked being active and, and, you know, it was coming from a family of people who are relatively active. It's kind of something that we did, but, you know, went off to college, was drinking too much, never, ever, ever went to the gym, except like to hit the elliptical once or twice, basically was pretty sedentary through my twenties. And at the age of 29, I quit drinking because I needed to badly. I had a serious drinking problem. I was very spiraling downwards really quickly. And it was one of those interesting inflection points in your life. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small, but this was a huge one for me. Right before I quit drinking, I'd actually, we'd, I'd recently, my husband and I had recently moved across the country and right. I had uh, signed up for a local 5k. Cause I was thinking like new city, new me, you know, now is the time to create really healthy habits when I was still drinking all the time, but I had signed up for this 5k, which took place literally across the street from the apartment building that we were living at at the time. And I was like, all I have to do is walk out the door, walk across the street. Like I can run a 5k. Anybody can run a 5k. And, uh, I went down to the apartment gym to start training. It's probably about a month before I quit drinking. Right. Then that's my, when I say that, because that's, I feel like when I really became a runner, Yeah. but yeah. I, uh, I went down to the gym and I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to run a couple miles on the treadmill. And I couldn't even run a mile at, at all, at any pace. And that was really eye-opening for me. Yada, yada, yada. About six weeks later, I had quit drinking, uh, and was like, all right, well now let's really, let's, let's figure out this 5k thing. I have a, I think I had like eight weeks or so, maybe a little bit less. And from there it was, I was out, you know, running in the central Florida heat in cotton, had no idea what I was doing, running everything way too fast. But long story short, within six months of that inflection point, I had run not only a 5k, but a 10k and a half marathon and a full marathon. Um, so that's really how I launched myself into becoming a runner. Obviously have learned so much since then. This is literally <laughs> my career now, but that is how I became a runner. And the reason I talk about that is because I feel like sometimes we, when we, when we're trying to make these behavior change or we're trying to make something stick, you know, it's okay to just take it day by day. Like I had no plan. I had no plan other than I just want to not embarrass myself in this 5k. And then it quickly became, well, it's like, all right, well, if I can do that, I wonder if I can do this. If I can that, I wonder if I can do this. Um, and you know, kind of taking it like one, literally like one day at a time from running perspective and yeah, look where it got me. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is the coolest. I think that is one of my favorite, like, how did you get into running stories I've ever heard? It's just, that's incredible from not being a runner at all to within six months going from 5k to marathon. Like that's amazing. And Would not recommend it. Like it was yeah. just because it's technically possible yeah. doesn't mean it was a good idea, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think it really, your story reflects of like that running is much more than just running. It's much more than going out on the treadmill and just running a mile. And it really is about taking it one day at a time. I, as part of, well, Tommy runs, um, if you know, Thomas Bailey. Yeah. So he and I, um, run through the same run club around our area. And he was on my podcast, um, maybe a couple months ago. And really we talked about the whole time, just like the meaning of like running is literally just taking it one step at a time, one day at a time, one mile at a time, because if you don't, it's going to be overwhelming. And so the, I think that the fact that you did 
adapt that mindset. So shout out Tommy, if you're listening to this, um, the one day at a time, um, I think that's why you were able to just kind of go all in with running. And I think that's so beautiful. <laughs> it was interesting getting to the point where, you know, if you told me and this all happened like in, in July, right. And I ran my first marathon in January. And if you told me in July, oh, your goal is in six months, you're going to run a marathon. Like that would have been incomprehensible to me. Um, but by the time I made the decision, like I'd run a half marathon and I was like, well, if I can run a half marathon, like I'm pretty sure I could run a marathon, you know, and it's that gradual. And I, you know, I know this is something we're probably going to talk about, but like mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things about running is it, it shows you what's possible and allows you to believe in yourself. Like it allows you to transcend the, limitations that you put on yourself, whether you realize it or not about what is and is not possible, but we have to just go through it very gradually. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's so true. And so great. Um, yeah. So how did that marathon go? I'm curious. Oh gosh. Well, yeah. So there is, there is a, there was a lot of walking at the end. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> and you still yeah. did it. <laughs> I still finished, which is really funny. I was just talking on another episode of, uh, of my show, how, um, I, so my first, my first marathon ever was the Disney world marathon. So the marathon at Walt Disney world. And I was, so I was living in Florida at the time and it was literally yeah. like my local marathon. And, uh, I was lucky enough to sign up and get in a month before the race, which I don't even know you can do that now. Cause they sell it so quickly, yeah. but, um, the race, those races, or they used to finish going through Epcot, right? So a lot of the races at Disney world are, you technically run through the parks, but most of the races, especially the marathon is run on essentially these well-maintained service roads between the parks. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I did the math and it was like of the 26 miles, I think like five and a half of them were actually spent in any sort of park. Right. So for anybody who's like, just be aware, you're not running through magic kingdom for 26 miles. You're running like on the access road to the sewage plant for like a couple of miles at a time. Um, mm-hmm. but anyways, it finishes, it finishes through Epcot. And so that, and at that time of day, these races started like five 30 in the morning. And so by the time I'd come around, I was in the last corral cause I registered late. I had no proof of time. And so I was coming through, I think at like 9 30 or 10 30 in the morning the park was open there were people everywhere you know you're at the very end literally like you're at mile 25 of this race and I was thinking to myself I am in I'm suffering so badly right now I just what if I just stopped like what if I just walked into Epcot like what if I just what if I just made the pain go away (laughs) which is in retrospect a crazy thought because you thought well you of 26 miles, you've covered 25, right? How could it be that, you know, you only have one more mile to go. But that I think was my first experience with one of the most challenging things about being an endurance runner is that mindset, the psychological, the mental component, right? Because you can train our bodies, but when your mind starts telling you something, it's really hard not to listen to it. I did finish. Um, I, I, I positive split very badly. I, at the time was making a huge mistake in that I wasn't eating any carbs, which was like actually in retrospect, a really terrible long-term health decision. So don't do that. Um, so I wasn't fueling. And so there was walking at the end. Um, but I did finish. And I remember crossing the finish line and finding my husband and being like wrapped in this space blanket and saying to him, 
I don't know why people do this for fun. Like <laughs> I'd run, I'd run shorter distance. I run a half marathon, right? I'd run my, you know, my 5k, my 10k. And like, that was challenging, but like, yeah, okay. I got this. I finished the marathon. And I was like, why do people do this? Um, but like so many of us, we are bitten by the what if, right? Well, what if I can do it better? What if I could do it faster? What if I could figure it out and fix what I did? So it was not my last marathon, but it was the first one. Wow. That just had so much good in that one marathon experience. Oh my goodness. And I think that's really what separates the marathon from all the other distances. It's really that like, I I feel you like the last mile is just awful. I ran my first marathon in May and I just remember I'm like, oh, I was feeling so good at mile 22. And I was, I remember there's a video of me and I was like, dad, I'm feeling good. He's like, don't say that. Don't say that. And I was like, no, I'll be fine. And then it's like that last mile. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. And they're like, well, you already made it this far. It's that last like mental like component. And it's, I just feel like once you overcome that barrier in the marathon, it's such a reflection of like, you could do anything like you can, it's, it's tough. And that psychological component is so significant in that. And it's like one of the worst pains that I've probably experienced in my life, but it's like everything that running is, it's like your brain is telling you to stop everything you're doing, but you continue to push. And I think that's exactly what happened in your Epcot marathon and your sewage plant marathon more. (laughs) but, um, with running through the sewage areas. Um, but I think, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Um, so we kind of talked about like what your inspiration was to start running and everything, but I guess I kind of want to go deeper and kind of talk about like, how does running impact who we are and what we do in life and our why? So just to kind of, I mean, we kind of foreshadowed some, but yeah. And not to be too, I think, you know, I don't know how to say this and uh, grandiose about mm-hmm. it, but I honestly believe that being a runner is experiencing the depth and breadth of what it means to be a human being. And it teaches you how to become a better person. There is nothing like the suffering in a long distance race. There's nothing like the joy an ecstasy of accomplishing something that you thought was physically and literally impossible only days or weeks or months before. And it teaches us, I think, how to support our minds and our bodies in a way that I don't know that a lot of other people, not to say like this is exclusive to being a runner, but if you really want to become the best runner you can be. And for that, that definition has a different definition for everybody, right? For some people, that's simply having it being an enjoyable part of their life. For other people, that is maximizing how fast they can possibly run over a variety of distances. But it does require a really deep, innate understanding of who you are as a person and what you need to support your body and your mind. Um, yeah, I think sometimes in the distance running community, the things that we do are normalized as something that's like, oh, well, everybody does this. Everybody runs marathons. Everybody runs 50, runs 50 miles a week. Everybody, blah, blah, blah. And like, no, they don't. This is, you know, they really don't. And I think, I think sometimes taking a step back and realizing that the things that we are doing are really cool 
and boundary pushing and limit pushing. And just because you and all of your friends are doing the same thing doesn't mean that it doesn't require an extra level of support, care, and attention to allow you to do that. And I think once we really start treating ourselves like endurance athletes and everything that that means, that's when things really start to come together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I really like what you said there is that it doesn't, I mean, just because this is so normalized in the running community doesn't mean that everybody can do this. And that doesn't mean that we don't, I mean, well, no, everybody can do it, but everybody can do it on their own. Like we still need that extra help. We still need that extra support. And so just because we can cover these distances and we can show our resilience, we still need that support. And we still also, it humbles you in a way because it shows you that like, yes, you're strong and strength actually means like reaching out for help and getting the care and support that you need. So yeah, I really, I I had a workout this morning and as I was running it, I was thinking, you know, so there's two things, right. So kind of go Uh off what you just said. So people have asking me like, what are you running? What are you training for right now? And I, I, at first I was like, oh, I'm, I run two marathon. I ran, I ran at Chicago and I ran Boston. So I ran two marathons Mm -hmm. in back-to-back cycles and this fall I'm running a half marathon. And so somebody said, or asked me a while back, like, I was like, oh, I'm I'm only running a half marathon this fall. And then I had to catch myself and be like, not, there's nothing only (laughs) about a half marathon. Right. (laughs) And that's, I was like, wow, Elizabeth, like you really should know better. Right. Like, but I was like, oh, I'm only running a half marathon. I'm only running a half marathon, right? As in 13.1 miles as fast as you can go isn't like also a crazy endurance feat, which it absolutely is. So yeah. like reframing that. But then I was also on my workout this morning for said upcoming half marathon, thinking that, you know, being a runner requires you to hold a lot of a lot of opposing ideas and opposing belief systems in your head at the same time. And I think two of those are, an ability to be brutally honest with yourself about what's actually happening to you and an almost delusional level of self-belief and self-confidence in what you could be capable of. Um, And you need both, I think, to be really, really good. But I was thinking about that and I was like, yeah, you kind of need to be like, okay, brutally honest. What's actually happening here? What's going to happen this cycle? What's going to happen today? And then be like, yeah, but I believe so hard in what I could possibly do that I, you know, and then you pump yourself up. So yeah, it's tough. It's tough to be a runner. <laughs> it really is. It really is. But that's so good. Like Albert Bandura, who is a social psychologist. I'm sorry. I bring on my like PhD brain to all of these episodes. Cause I just like love, I'm in literature all the time. So Albert Bandura, he's one of the like founding, like social psychologists he's found. Oh, and this has been replicated in many studies that the biggest predictor of actually achieving a goal and actually getting something done is our self-efficacy. It's not necessarily our self-esteem. It's knowing that we can do it and having that belief that you can do something. And the biggest way to increase self-efficacy is to do the thing. So if you're thinking, if you wake up in the morning and you're like, my workout is just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to do my workout. Like this is going to be terrible. The moment that you do it and the moment that you get out there and you're running, you're like, oh, actually I can do this. And then you're going to accomplish that. Even though it gets tough, it's, we often overestimate how bad we're going to feel and how good we're going to feel. So it's like a very, it's, it's a weird thing that goes on in your brain. You have to hold those two truths together. So (laughs) I love that. Um, how do you think that running helps to promote resilience specifically? I mean, running is resilience. 
Yeah, it, it is like it, it in its in its distillation it running work. If you if you you have to be resilient to be a runner, and I mean that from day one, mm-hmm. um, because running is really hard. Like even when it's easy, it's really challenging. It's challenging to get out there day after day. It's challenging to do it a lot of the same stuff over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and it requires genuine resilience on your part, emotional resilience, psychological resi- resilience. I'm not talking about physical resilience, right? The durability that it takes oh, yeah. to runner. No, we're talking about psychological resilience in order to like adjust and bounce back and keep the faith that you, you know, because like it or not there, you are going to have runs or maybe even a season of running that kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. And to develop the resilience to be, and I think for resilience, it's really about separating one. It's about really about separating you yourself and your self-worth from the uh, result. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that can help build resilience and that you are not your times good or bad. Um, but then the resilience to confront challenging situations and learn and grow from them so that the next time you encounter a similar situation, you are less affected by it. Right. So having that resilience to continue to move forward and past obstacles in a, um, in a way that is less taxing on you long-term mm-hmm. that is, that is running in a nutshell, I think. Um, now some things that we go through as runners test our resilience, right. <laughs> uh, but the whole week, you know, we keep saying like, keep showing up one foot in front of the other. Like, that's really what we're talking about here. Um, now I'm not even getting to the whole, like, you know, overtraining thing and not supporting your body, that sort of thing. But from a, from a psychological perspective, I believe that the, at the core of running is basically requires you to build that resilience and continue to work on it over time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact too, that like it running not only builds resilience, but it takes somebody with like that desire or that already has that resilience to start running in the first place. There was, um, a post that I saw today on Instagram, it was race across the States. Um, she's great. And she posted about how a lot of people who have gone through some pretty traumatic stuff in life, um, become the best endurance athletes. And there is a basis for that. It's showing that like, oh, I've gone through something really challenging before and I've endured. And so translating that to running and also running, translating that to life, because it sets you up for success in future obstacles that you encounter. Because I don't know, I always catch myself saying, oh, if I can make it through those last six miles of a marathon, I can do this. Like it's okay. (laughs) So, um, stuff like that. (laughs) And even from a neuroscience science perspective, like we do know that running aerobic exercise and essentially the way that running requires us to use our brains improves neuroplasticity, right? So Mm -hmm. improves our brain's ability to grow and form new connections. Neuroplasticity is really hard to maintain after a certain age, you're most neuroplastic as a child. And then what's the drop off? It's like, 25. 12 or 60 or some, well, I knew it really declines after oh, that, but like yeah. you really get a lot of the pruning done pretty early on. Yeah. Around so like 13 neuroplasticity. And then, um, there isn't, what was it? There's another, oh my gosh. Uh, anyways, it's really good for your brain, <laughs> <I'm sure laughs> yeah. that you know, as a psychologist, yeah. but beyond, beyond, I think, well, we kind of hard to quantify in some ways, although I know you can quantify resilience on certain scores. Um, it is health promoting. And I think it's mental, mental health promoting as well, not just performance promoting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you ever think that running could be 
worse for your mental health than better? Like, are there ever instances in that? And what could maybe some examples be? So I do believe that there, we can misuse a lot of different things mm-hmm. and it really depends on what it is. Mm-hmm. And so to say that running is always a health promoting behavior for every person in every situation is not true. Mm-hmm. It is possible to develop a, a a relationship with running where you are abusing or misusing running. Now, I think I, I as a coach, see this happening in uh, one of two ways specifically. So one, when we're really dealing with what somebody will classify as an exercise addiction, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of a compulsive need to engage in behaviors despite detrimental outcomes or side effects, right? So if somebody is so... Um, is so is basically addicted, right? Is so um uh compulsively engaging in running despite getting injured frequently and maybe running through injury, running when they're sick, like, oh, I have to get my steps in, but like, oh, I have to get my run in, even though I technically like from all other perspectives, be like, you you can't, like you need to rest. Uh, you know, if they're exercising excessively multiple runs a day, if they are exercising uh, excessively and they're not eating enough, right? So a lot of the exercise addiction behaviors tend to have some relationships with body image and the relationship we have with food, but not always. So that's kind of one, the classic, like you're just over-exercising, you're straight up using, using exercise, using running in a way that you are abusing it. The other, um, way that I tend to see runners struggle with their relationship with running in a, in a healthy way, in a health promoting way is when we are overly invested in the way that certain aspects of running make us feel or bring up certain emotions, beliefs, thoughts, or behaviors. I typically see this with runners who really struggle to disassociate themselves with specific paces, right? So if I have tied my worth as a runner to running this specific pace, right? And then I don't run that pace in training or a race, right? And then I go into kind of this negative thought spiral about, you know, talk again, that self-efficacy and that self-belief and, and the belief that we have in ourselves, it can also work backwards, right? It can kind of bring us down instead of lift us up. Um, and so typically those are the two ways in which I see runners, um, I would say misuse or have a less healthy relationship with running. And of course, like many things, as we know, it exists on a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? So you can have a, a runner who maybe in certain situations is kind of struggling with using exercise overly, like compulsively exercising or compulsively running, but not always. And it's kind of to a minor degree and they can kind of recognize it and pull it back versus somebody who is literally engaging in the most destructive form of, of running obsessively. You can think of same mm-hmm. thing with the, the relationship. I think that we have with pace numbers or comparison, right? I can look at somebody else and say, oh, gee, I'm really impressed by my friend who ran this time. Yeah, you know, I'm a little envious, but I'm also proud of them and excited for them. And I hope that with hard work, I can one day reach that as well versus, oh, my God, that person's so fast. I'm so slow. I suck. What's wrong with me? Right. So Mm -hmm. two very different ways of looking at the same thing. Um, And I think, unfortunately, with the rise of social media in our on our day-to-day lives and so many aspects of our lives, it's really hard not to get caught into some of those traps sometimes. Um, But that also, I think, gives you, the runner, an opportunity to really develop 
the positive skills and the positive things that we're associating with running, right? That ability to believe in yourself, the ability to dissociate your self-worth from times, your ability to believe in yourself no matter what, and to be proud of yourself. Um, so yeah, yeah. So long yeah. answer there. <laughs> no, that's so good. That's so good. And I think that's, I never even thought about it in the way of it being like two distinct forms of more like unhealthy types of running versus healthy. Cause I, I mean, the first thing that always comes to my mind in most people's minds is just like, Oh, overtraining that exercise addiction, like, um, you mentioned, and I do see that a lot on social media. It's definitely prevalent. Um, and I know individuals who struggle with that and it's hard, but I never thought about the, Oh, tying your self-worth to numbers. But that's another thing that is really, really prevalent, um, on in the running community for sure. And like, if you, and personally, it's helped me dissociate my worth from times and stuff. Cause I'm that I, a high achiever. I like, I've always been like, you know, satisfied by numbers, grades. And then I'm like, Oh, paces when I got into running, but then it really, you have to take a step back and say, like, if you want to perform in the long term in running and you want to have longevity in the sport, like you can't compare yourself. Like you need to just embrace who you like, where you are that day, one day at a time. And like, it's subjective too. Like there's, there's always going to be somebody faster and there's always going to be somebody slower than you. And so even with like the mileage, like saying you could literally say, I'm just running 50 miles today in comparison to somebody who's running a hundred miles. But <laughs> if you're talking about somebody who's running one mile, you could say I'm running 50 miles. So it really is. It's all subjective. It's like, what is objective running? We don't know. <laughs> I think when running is really used at its best, right, is that it, I tend to see this a lot, right? Running, yeah. there are a lot of people who who tend towards per perfectionism, mm -hmm. who tend towards more, uh, say, you know, kind of neuroticism, right, on those big mm -hmm. five personality traits, mm -hmm. who tend to be more anxious type people, that there's a lot of research out there that actually correlates, you know, higher levels of anxiety and perfectionism with higher levels of injury, with uh, worse outcomes in injury rehab, you know, with a lot of and say things that are not going to be to your benefit long-term as a runner. And so, you know, if we can really embrace running as this tool to allow us to live in this gray area and live in the uncertainty, sometimes, you know, not every run is going to get a gold star. How do we feel about that? Right. How would we feel if we ran this pace instead of this pace, but at this pace, you felt amazing. How would you feel if you finished your run and you didn't hit a round number? How would you feel if you had to skip a run and you didn't make it up later, right? So all of these things I think teach us in a way, and again, talk about that that kind of, uh, you know, the um, dichotomy, right, of these two opposing beliefs, right? This kind of radical honesty and radical delusional self-belief. Mm -hmm. You need both, right? You need to be dedicated and disciplined and all these things, but you also need to learn how to let go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is huge. And a lot of people go into running thinking, oh, it's something that I really can control. It is like a lot of a, it's a very much a control mindset, but, or, and at the same time, it's, it's really not when it comes down to it because a lot of stuff we're really out of our control because we can put in all of the work and do all of the things that we think are in control, but it's really ultimately not necessarily in our control. And so, yeah, that's a great point. And that's a big mindset F I think to a lot of people <laughs> yeah, because they're so used to insert X receive Y. Like yeah. I did the work. 
why didn't I get the result? And the thing about running is that when you're new, you basically, that is the way it happens. I feel like that's running. That's the hook that gets you in the yeah. door. And then it's like, and then it shows you what it's actually like. And you're like, wait, that's not what I signed up for. Yeah. I, thought I was going to PR every single time that I went for, uh, you know, went for uh, a race. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> when you're newer or when you're returning, you are going to make rapid progress really quickly. Mm -hmm. You will, if you're a new runner, I remember in the first, it would say, honestly, the first six to nine months I was a runner, I would routinely PR some sort of distance in training. And I would definitely PR every single time that I raced. Mm -hmm. Now that does not last forever. And so if you are expecting that to happen or assuming that that's the way it's always going to be, the first time that it doesn't happen can shake your, shake you to your core, right? Shake you to the foundation of like, wait a minute, all the things that I thought were going to be true are not true, right? And so I think that, that that really can challenge a lot of runners' belief in themselves about who they are, right? And so I think sometimes it knocks people out of the sport because they haven't been given enough proper education to be like, it's okay that you didn't PR every single time that you went for a 5K this year. It's okay that you ran 30 seconds total faster this year than you did last year. Like it's okay that you ran slower in this race. Cause guess what? It was 95 degrees compared to last year, you know, but it, that's kind of, again, tying our worth to these specific paces or these outcomes. Um, and that it's not really ever about the outcome. It's about how we process what the outcome means because of how we've decided to attach certain values and meanings to it. I love everything you just said there. Yes, exactly. It's not about the outcome. It's about our meaning making of the outcome. Like, yes, things can be hard and we can grieve it. And also really taking a step back and just looking at it from a different angle, it's going to change your whole mental capacity around the sport. And it's just... I mean, yeah, we attach values to this. We attach different standards, but where did those come from? And of course, there there may be people listening right now that have some standards that are adhered to them, like through being paid to run in a school or, you know, having a certain coach or, you know, there's there's caveats to that. But for most of my listeners, they're recreational runners, adults, um, you know, in college or above. And it really is, I mean, I've seen some, detrimental effects of really just tying your worth to the sport and worth to outcomes. And it's really, it's sad to watch, but it's like the outcome, it's an outcome, but how do you process that outcome is how it's going to affect you. So, and I think people need to promote more of that on social media, just showing like, Hey, I ran this time and guess what? The world is still turning and you guys can do it too. So and that's, I will say, obviously, doubly, triply hard when somebody is literally yeah. telling you that your outcomes have worth, especially yeah. like you said, if you're running in college, if you have scholarship money tied to your status on a team, uh, if you are trying to run professionally, somebody mm -hmm. is literally saying, I will pay you X dollars, but only if you run Y time, mm -hmm. right? And this is another kind of thing that we see in terms of how to cultivate resilience and that it can't running can't be the only thing in your life. Even for people who are all in on running, it can't be the only way that you define yourself. Um, because if it is the only thing keeping your life together, what happens if 
it's not there anymore, or you get injured and have to take a season off, or, you know, you get cut because you didn't make a specific standard, you know? And so, yes, like it's about diversifying our self-worth portfolio, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say, um, in that being more than just a runner or, you know, more than just a runner who runs this one specific distance or this one specific time, you know, I, I, I genuinely believe it's worth the work to go through making yourself more than just a runner. Yes, absolutely. That is so essential and so important to longevity, not only in the sport, but also in life. Like you don't want to tie yourself to your career, your running, and that's the only thing that you have. And also like running should not be to going kind of in the mental health realm. It should not be your only coping skill. I'm a huge proponent of running does not equal therapy. There are a lot of people who say that running is therapy, but really if you're using running as your only means to have healthy coping skills and have positive mental health, if that gets taken away from you, similar to the self-worth thing, how is your mental health going to react to that? And so I think that's a really important point that you brought up. And that's huge. And people, there is interesting. I've gotten some pushback because I I firmly hold this belief as well. (laughs) Um, Running is therapeutic, right? Exercise is therapeutic. Running is therapeutic. There are so many benefits, mental and physical, to engaging in regular exercise, including Mm -hmm. running specifically. But running is not a replacement for like actual mental health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I think, you know, I mentioned before, and again, I am not a mental health practitioner. I'm not a clinician in this field, but this is where I see as a coach, you know, runners really struggling. We said that maladapt- maladaptive co- mm-hmm. coping mechanisms and using running, misusing and abusing running in a way that is like, well, I'll just go for a run and make everything better. It's like, well, Yeah. I mean, it's helpful, but maybe we should have you talk to, you know, a licensed healthcare professional to go through these feelings of anxiety and why you feel the need to compulsively engage in these behaviors. Right. I mean, I think you can, you can run to, or you can run from, right. And some, you know, it's okay to use both, but it it really depends on why you're engaging in the behavior and, Uh, There's actually more and more research coming out now. There's some wonderful research being done by Jill Colangelo, um, who's uh, out of it. She works in Italy and does a lot of research on endurance athletes, specifically ultra endurance athletes and mental health care and mental wellness and mental illness and all these things. And basically she's finding that, yeah, endurance athletes, especially ultra endurance athletes have higher rates of mental health disorders than the general population do, um, ranging from, you know, uh, uh, substance abuse issues to eating disorders to, you know, mood disorders. Um, and so kind of what you were saying about people who have experienced some sort of trauma, you know, mm-hmm. tend to gravitate towards this sport. I, I would agree. I'm, I'm one of them, right. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I also think that that in some way, if we're communicating that, like, oh, run all you need to like, feel good is, you know, to fix all their problems is to just like go run for five hours. Well, yeah, I mean, make you make you feel better in the short term, but it's not a replacement for genuine care. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with seeing how high the prevalence rates are and just like so many runners have a history of an eating disorder or some sort of addiction. And that's just, I mean, it's the same like neural processes that kind of foster both of those mindsets, both around running and also both around maybe food or exercise. And so 
while it's being used in a healthy way by running, it can be used in a maladaptive way too. And so also having that support from a coach, a mental health uh professional, a nutrition or a dietitian, not nutritionist, dietitian, get yourself a registered dietitian if you need food advice. Um, just having that support is going to be much better than you just can't, you can't go run for five hours and expect your entire world to be better. Because again, we overestimate how good we're going to feel when we're done with something. So you could literally be training your heart out for a marathon, finish a marathon, be like, wow, why don't I feel what I wanted to feel? And like, that's when it's time to process that with a therapist and say like, okay, well, I thought this would make me feel better. And maybe it does in the short term, but in the long term, it's not going to. And so just really having that multidimensional approach, just like how you don't want to take medication alone to solve anxiety. You want to do medication and therapy. It's the same thing. So if running is your neurochemical regulation, you also want to get therapy as well. If you're struggling. That that outcome thing is so important. And they've actually, they've looked at, you know, Olympic right and yeah. and and depression post olympic yeah. cycle is real because you have all these people who've been training their entire lives as one outcome they go they win a medal and it's like now what yeah I, now what like yeah that was very cool and i feel amazing but like now what right so i think sometimes we think well if only i could run xyz time you know i'll feel better and the beautiful thing about running, I think, is that there's always another another goal to set for yourself, right? And again, that's why you should have multiple types of goals, not just one very specific outcome goal. Um, yes, <laughs> again, diversify your goal portfolio. <laughs> um, but also, you know, that the, nothing, there is no such thing as one, one outcome or one goal that's going to satisfy you forever, right? Mm-hmm. So I know for a lot of people running a Boston qualifying marathon time is a really big deal. And that's a goal that a lot of people work towards sometimes for years to get there. And then once they get there, they have to then go on to the next goal. Like it's, it's exciting and it's important and they can celebrate, but like the, the dust settles, the smoke clears, right? And you're like, what's my next goal? Now what, now what, now what? Um, which I think is a very cool part of being a runner and being a human being, but that also is a lesson in how you can't put all of your self-worth eggs in that one goal basket. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's so good. And I'm glad that you brought up the point about Olympians too, because like not only with like the post-Olympics depression, but post-race, like post achieving your goal. It's not always going to be there. You're not always going to be riding that high. Kind of like the day after Christmas, you're like, okay, now what? Like all the decorations are being taken down and you celebrated and it's hard. And that's why, well, one, it's really important to be mindful and in the moment of that celebration, but also like acknowledge that it is hard afterwards. And like, you don't know, you might be at a loss. And I resonate with that. I qualified for Boston this May and I worked so, so hard and I was so excited. I still am like stoked, but I'm like, okay, well like what do I do now for Chicago for my time like for my like I just like don't have a I'm like I don't know like it's just like a weird like limbo that you're in and so just I know a lot of people felt the same way too who qualified this spring and are running fall marathons you're like well I don't really have a goal to work it's kind of like a what now so it's it's a thing and it can definitely impact people to an extent if they've been working for something for years like I know it's taken some people maybe like 15, 20 years to reach a Boston qualifying time and they finally do. And then they're kind of, I mean, you can get depressed. So yeah, that's, that's important. Yeah. Um, what advice do you have for some people 
who are just maybe starting running or maybe who struggle with some of this insecurity or maybe finding their why, I guess, like you already offered some amazing advice, but (laughs) yeah. So my number one piece of advice to any runner is don't, don't do what I did and follow some really strange low carb diet advice while also training for multiple marathon cycles. Um, and I say that kind of like, don't do it because uh, so actually for female athletes, you know, what we know about the way that low carbohydrate diets impact Mm -hmm. our health and functioning. Um, I saw it firsthand, you know, one of the reasons I started running aside from the fact that I signed up for this 5k and was like, now what do I do is that I wanted to lose weight. And I think that a lot of runners, adult runners specifically enter the sport for weight loss goals. Right. Um, the one thing I will say about with wanting to change your body composition, but a lot of body composition change is done with your nutritional interventions, right? So if you are also trying to engage in endurance exercise, especially as we progress up through the distances, 10 K half marathon, and certainly the marathon, you need to eat enough to support your training. And you especially need to eat enough carbohydrates. Um, it is entirely possible. The research is indicating to get your place, get yourself into a place of being, uh, clinically definitioned, having the clinical definition of meeting relative energy deficiency in sport or low energy availability, or possibly overtraining syndrome. Even if you're meeting your total energy needs, if you're not eating enough carbohydrates, um, and as I am still to this day, working my way backwards from relative energy deficiency in sport caused by chronic carbohydrate restriction, I don't want anybody else to lose years of possibly their prime running time because they made the same mistake I did. So that's what I will continue to talk about. Um, And I'm not getting into the whole debate about carbohydrates for the general population, talking about carbohydrate intake for endurance athletes, right? So like that's, yeah, don't do it. Trust me, it sucks to have to spend a ton of time and money um, fixing something that was technically entirely avoidable in the first place. Now, back to the whole like motivation and your why and all of that kind of stuff. So um, it's okay. I know that, you know, we talk about different types of motivation, extrinsic, in, intrinsic motivation, right? Things that kind of uh, your exterior outside goals you're working towards, like, oh, I'm signing up for this race that I want to run um, because my friend wants me to, and I don't want to disappoint my friend, right? And then we have kind of the internal motivation, the intrinsic motivation of, I am trying to complete this goal because I have these, you know, this way that it makes me feel and the way that I am proud of myself and working towards this goal and achieving this goal. And I run for, you know, all these different reasons. It's okay to have both. And it's okay if your, if your why, your big capital W Y and, or your, your sources of motivation together with discipline that you cultivate over time shift and change throughout your running career. Um, everybody's why is going to be a little bit different, kind of that fundamental, like, but why do you run? Why do you run? Some days the answer is going to be because I said that I was going to run this race with my friend and I don't <laughs> want to let her down, right? Some days yeah. it is it's going to be what's going to get us out the door. And some days it's, I run because it's who I am. I run because it's a part of me. I run because I want to prove to myself that I can do things that are challenging, I run because it's me time. I run because of the way that it makes me feel, you know, so it's really kind of anything at all in between. But the most important thing is that, you know, even if you start 
with extrinsic motivation. I've paid 50 American dollars for this race. Gosh, darn it. And now I'm going to show up for that race and complete it no matter what, right? What I found is that, you know, typically to really continue in the sport, you have to then find something that's intrinsic. You have to find an intrinsic motivator. And typically that happens organically. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't just like wake up and be like, what's my intrinsic motivation for doing this? It's like you wake up one day and you're like, well, why am I, why am I even doing this? Right. What's keeping me doing this? What's keeping me, you know, lacing up my shoes most days? What's keeping, what, 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 why am I running in the rain? Why am I running in the snow? Why am I trying to find a hotel treadmill? You know, um, and it'll come to you and you realize, oh, well, that's why I'm doing this. So mm-hmm. you need both. It's okay if it changes over time, if your one is more prevalent versus the other in certain phases of your life. But eventually you're going to need to find something that is intrinsic, not just extrinsic. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind me asking, what is your why? Ah, I, my why, why do I run? I run because running is helping me become the person who I always hoped I was. Oh, I just got goosebumps. That was so good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So good. So good. And yeah, you really, I mean, you really are resilient in the fact and just like everything that you've overcome and everything that you've done with running. And it's just, that's, that's great. And I think that is one of the best intrinsic motivators that you can have as a runner. <laughs> that's- I mean, I have extrinsic motivations too, but that's my big one, right? That's the, when, when the chips are really down, right. When we're, when we're really struggling, it's like, well, why do I do this? Why am I doing yeah. this? Yeah. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Uh, I always love hearing stories of runners wise and (laughs) everything like that. So, and just quickly too, I wanted to ask about your inspiration for running explained and kind of when this got all started. Yeah. So I started running explained during the pandemic. Like it was oh a, gosh. it was a pandemic baby. Um, yeah. so I'd been running for a couple of years, right. Uh-huh. Made all the classic mistakes, right. <laughs> oh, running too fast, you know, not uh-huh. fueling, you know, blah, 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 all these things. And then I started just learning more about the sport. I'm a very naturally curious person. And I've been reading more about the sport and kind of, you know, digesting and all these things. And I learned about easy running about how, how, 18 months, maybe a little year, between a year and 18 months after I started running, I learned about easy running. And (laughs) I was like, oh, well, this makes perfect sense. And this makes sense why I'm plateaued and makes sense why I'm feeling burned out all the time and makes all that. I was like, yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to implement this. I'm going to start using this. And um, oh my God, did it work? It was, it was like, it was the mad, it was like the magic key had unlocked everything. Everything fell into place. Like I mean, I remember, so my first marathon, I ran the one in Disney world where Uh I almost walked off the course in Epcot. (laughs) Um, my first marathon, I ran a four Oh five, which I know is a really good, it's a really good first marathon time. Right. Kind of. No, there are, there are people who are faster. There are people who are slower, but I was pretty excited about that. Oh yeah. But I had then decided though, and I think it's pretty common, especially for newer, newer runners is that I had then decided that because my marathon pace was like nine, whatever it was nine, 10, uh, Uh average that I was then like had to run everything at nine minute pace or faster. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, uh, that lasted, uh, didn't go very well in the long term, especially because again, I was still living in Florida and it was really hot. So when I finally discovered easy running and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. Like I have nothing left to lose. Something's got to change. 
all of the science is telling me that this works mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm going to try it. And I remember going on my very first easy effort run and like I was using heart rate and I just kept slowing down and I was like, oh my God, slow down. I just slow down more and slow down more. That very first easy run, I think I averaged like a 1330 pace. So I went from running everything at like nine, nine thirty yeah. or faster to like all like, you know, 13 and a half minutes per mile. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> okay. I was like, okay, but trust the process. Right. Right. There's like, I have been, I've been shown the science. I, I have tried it my way. Let's mm-hmm. try it this way. Within a year, I was back to running between nine to 10 minute per miles in my easy effort zone. Wow. Yeah. Which I know is not the usual thing, but like people like, well, I might be slow down forever. I'm like, no, you're going to get faster. You're going to get faster (laughs) at everything. So when I saw this happening in my own training and I was reading all of the research and the books that were saying, this is the way that should be done. And I saw in the running community, the social media running community I was a part of, I was like, nobody seems to be doing this. Like there were some people who were talking about it like easy running, but kind of like, you know, obliquely. And I was like, you know, I know that there are some people are talking about the importance of thing, but I'm seeing runners just like me, recreational, normal, amateur runners, just trying to get out there and run their best first half marathon, whatever it is. And like their lives would be so much easier if they just slow down on their easy runs. That's That's all they have to do is just slow down on their easy runs. And for a variety of reasons, they aren't you know, lack of education, uh-huh. ego, time mm-hmm. works, that specific pace. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. Easy running is super fun. Trust me. Really <laughs> and I was like, it's all I need to do. Like all these people's problems will be solved. They just slow down their easy runs. And so from, and I, and then I had some friends who were like, you run, how, how is this work? You run, what, what, why is this happening? What is this? And I was like, I'm going to start an Instagram account and be like, just explain these things, right? Running, explain, right? Just slow down. Aww. So So I fell backwards into it because I really just wanted to talk about how amazing easy effort running was. And my goal was like, if we all just slow down on our easy runs to our easy effort zone, like everybody's problems would basically be solved. It's not literally that simple, but it it is still something that I talk about almost daily to this day. And it's been the business I really took off in 2021. So I've been doing this for two and a half years now. And yeah, the core of my business is still, you just slow down on your easy runs, but we also talk about other things too. I love that so much. That is the coolest thing. You're like, Oh, I'm just explaining all the running explains like easy runs. Like that's amazing. Like now you see like so many people on social media are like, Oh, easy runs, easy runs. But it's like, but also your posts are like the most informative scientifically. You have like all the research, like you provide everything. Like literally whenever anyone's asking me about like easy runs, I mean, I'm still, I need to slow down my easy runs. That is something that I am taking accountability for. But, um, when people are asking me for like, Oh, why should you run XYZ slow? I'll be like, you should check out her posts because they are very informative. And that's, that's so cool. A COVID baby that really blossomed into something that's helping so many runners. <laughs> and then the number one thing that I hear from runners who finally sit on their easy days, it's the performance benefits are like a, like an extra, right? It's like sprinkles on top of your cupcake, but from so many people who were where, where I was right. Feeling kind of burned out, kind of defeated, not really excited about it anymore. Like, oh, right. You're just kind of in this constant low grade state of like being a little bit more fatigued than you should be. So you can't run the way that you want to. Mm-hmm. And 
easy running, aside from all the other massive range of physiological, actual performance benefits that it confers upon you as an endurance athlete, it's going to make you feel better, right? It is a lot more enjoyable to go out and be like, I am here. Like I can feel good on my easy runs so I can feel good on my hard runs. I can feel good on my long runs. Um, I, it is foundational. And it's so funny. Like I, I'm 100% not taking any credit. Like there are some amazing, very well-established coaches who've been talking about easy running far before I came along, but I have noticed that it is a lot more prevalent now, which makes me excited. Um, the other thing too, and I'm sure, you know, obviously going through your postgraduate studies is that the more that you learn about things, the more nuance is revealed to you, right? Mm-hmm. So for when I was brand new and I was like, 80% of your runs need to be easy. 20% of your runs should be hard. And now I'm like, well, let's talk about that because <laughs> yeah. yeah, but broadly speaking, yes, the vast majority of runners should be spending the vast majority of their training time below their aerobic threshold, which is that first ventilatory threshold, the point at which you are fully conversational to not quite fully conversational. And that's where you want to spend a lot of time. That's beautiful. That is the best advice that any any of you can take right now. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you have offered so much wisdom today, and I am so grateful that you were a guest on today's episode. And I will link all of her um, Instagram or all of her social media and her website below. Um, and I am just so thankful that you came on today. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Well, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. <laughs>